When I think about Christmas, I can't help but think about light. We put all these lights up around here, and the red lights represent for us the blood of Jesus. The white lights, of course, represent the light of Christ. I love the song, the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, especially the lyrics that get to where it talks about our children and their eyes being all aglow. And Wednesday night, we, had, um, we have our midweek service in the back so the children can be in here rehearsing for the Christmas presentation, the Christmas production, and literally you could see their eyes all aglow as they were in here. It was like an anthill in here on Wednesday night when I walked around, and then Saturday, uh, Friday night, I was down here just to see and to help Becky with a couple of things, is getting ready for the Christmas presentation for the ladies and the Christmas tea, and people's eyes were all aglow, and it's because of the love and the light of Jesus. And I've thought a lot about that this year, what it means for Jesus to be the light of Christmas, what that first radiant light that shone around that first Christmas when the Shepherds were surrounded and stunned and overwhelmed by the radiance of the glory of God and the lights that appeared in the sky. Pastor Rick did a beautiful job talking about the, the star and the light the star provided Wednesday night as the, as the shepherds, as the wise men brought their gifts to the manger. There are some convictions that we have from the Bible as believers and followers of Jesus and why we celebrate Christmas the way we do. And one of those is that the light is Jesus. And there's something a little different when you think about that the light is Jesus. It's that this is uncreated light. The light from the candles, the lights, the ceiling. We know living in Detroit, we can have a blackout, we can have a brownout. The night that Fred passed away, we were sitting and there with him, the lights kept coming on and off. There was an electrical problem somewhere in the community. And then others of you were telling me that you lost power on that very evening. But that Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, constantly the lights were flickering off. The oxygen machine was flickering off. So we know that light can be extinguished. And if you've ever been, as I have been, you've done wild cave exploring, you've spent the night in a cave, you know how precious light can be in a cave. You know how precious it can be to have light, to show you the way, to guide you. You know how frightening it can be to not have light. But when we talk about the light being Jesus, it's very important to understand that the light of Christ can never be extinguished. There can never be a brownout. There can never be a blackout. The light of Jesus can never be extinguished. The second thing that you need to know about Jesus being the light is that Jesus is the creator of all things, including light. And I hope that when we get to heaven, many of you told me about going to see the ark in Kentucky and, and this beautiful, huge, ginormous, as one child told me, replica that has been built of the ark. You've told me about your experience there, but one of the things I hope when we get to heaven is that God will let us see somehow or another in time how in the midst of chaos and in the void of darkness, how God created the earth, how God created the universe, that first flash of light that God created. And how God created that light is He is the light. The light of the sun is a created light. One day that sun, like many other suns and stars, will either explode or slowly die. Whatever happens to stars will happen. But the creator of light and the light that lives in us, Jesus Christ, that light will never be extinguished and that light will never die. And of course, that light is God. That's what we confess about Jesus, that Jesus Christ is God. The mystery of the Trinity, not three little gods, not three separate gods, one God, so that we can understand Him who reveals Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Light is a symbol of hope. I just mentioned to you the cave. I can remember once when we had spent an entire day, an entire night, and then most of the better part of the next day crawling through a part of Mammoth Cave. And when we had got close to the, to the end of our tour, the guide that was taking us on this tour, we were muddy, we were dirty. By this time, we were exhausted. And even though we had cold food to eat, you just start dreaming about a, a steak and a hot shower, a good meal. And when we finally could see the first glimmer of light, Suddenly, everybody was going, I see the light. I see the light. And we were laughing. And, of course, the guy was saying, now, don't rush because there's still danger, you know. 
And that's a song that we used to sing when I was a child. I, see, I saw the light, I saw the light, no more in darkness, no more in night. And so there's this light that we see, but we know we still live in a dangerous world, but the world will not overcome the light. Jim Lovell, some of you will remember that name. Some of you, I need to tell you that he was one of the Apollo astronauts. But when Jim Lovell was a young pilot and he was flying aircraft car- air, uh, planes off of aircraft carriers, he was doing a practice run in 1954 off the coast of Japan. And he writes about how that after he had left doing a practice nighttime run, that something happened in his plane and he lost his navigational system. He lost the lights and then all the electrical power went dead in his plane, but his engine was still running. And he said, just as I was beginning to panic, he said, I noticed this, this luminescent trail of light in the ocean. And he said, my training had taught me that when you see that luminescent trail, that that's the dinoflagellates that have been stirred up by the propellers upon the aircraft carrier. And he said, so I knew that if I followed that glimmer of light, I would eventually come home to the aircraft carrier that he was to land upon. And sometimes it appears that the light of Jesus is as dim as those little flagellates that were glowing because of the Luciferin in their bodies. Again, something God created that they would glow and stirred up by propellers the way a light, lightning bug glows in the summertime here in Michigan. That that created substance guided him back to the aircraft carrier. In some ways, I want you and I to grasp the significance that though Jesus is the brightest of all lights, and all of us pale in comparison to Christ, Christ lives in each of us who have confessed Him as Lord. Christ lives in each of us who have named Him as Lord. And we are pale in comparison to Jesus, but there are still people that can find their way home to Christ this Christmas through our witness and through our testimony. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? So for me, this morning, and for you, I believe that what the Bible teaches is that the light of Christmas, Jesus, brings joy into our lives. That Jesus brings joy to us. The joy of Christmas, the joy of a new life, the joy of our sins being forgiven, the joy of a new purpose in life, the joy of power in this life, the joy of understanding in this life, the joy of having a life plan, the joy of knowing which way to go and who to follow, the joy simply of knowing truth when there are so many trying to grab our attention and to tell us what's true or what's not true. Jesus one time said in the book of John, he said, I have come as a light and those who put their trust in me, he said, they will never, never remain in the dark. And so this morning, if you put your trust in Christ, last week we looked at what happens when my plans don't go the way I want them to go. This morning, I want you to know that when your plans don't go the way that you'd hoped they'd go or that you planned that they would go, number two, that you'd know that you would never remain in darkness. Because you put your trust in Christ, God is going to pull us through. I've often wondered about that first Christmas. I've often wondered about the significance of the light. And when we want to put attention upon an actor on this stage, we have a spotlight and we throw the spotlight upon that actor on the stage in the Christmas musicals and suddenly every eye in the room goes to where that light is the brightest. Sometimes during the Christmas Eve service when I'll be preaching for some reason and it's okay, we don't mind it and the lights are all dim in here and usually it's just the lights up here and, and the, someone will take a flash uh, take their camera and, or their phone and the flash will go off. They'll take, use flash photography and all of a sudden, it's funny, I see it happen all the time, but people's heads will snap because we are caught, our attention is caught by the flashing of the strobe light or the bright light that happens. When our first grandson was born, we were taking pictures. We were calling attention that Andrew and Drew and Dana had had a baby and his name was Nolan and there were flash pictures and I go to the hospital occasionally just in time when there's a baby going to be born and families will call me and if I'm where I can I'll rush down to the hospital and there are the grandparents you're well I started to say you we are the worst of all you know we're there with our cameras and our phones we're videoing everything we're taking pictures and we're posting on Facebook and we're putting it on Instagram and Twitter we're calling attention that our grandchild has been born But when Jesus was born, there were no grandparents at the manger. When Jesus was born, there was no one calling attention to the fact because 
Joseph and Mary's parents would not have been there unless they had really believed that Christ was the Son of God. And so there was no grandparents, but God saw to it that attention would be brought to the birth of Jesus. Because the Bible tells us, if you'll look with me in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. Talking about the shepherds. The shepherds were terrified, but the, Lord, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. It will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And if we were watching this on a movie, suddenly the music would go, ha ha, and the trumpets would sound, and you would try to see as Hollywood or some producer tried to recreate what the Bible talks about as the glory of God shining and radiating all about them. The beauty of that story is that Christ, the light of the world, plunged into a dark world, a world that had been darkened and become violent, a world that had become full of misunderstanding and mistrust, a world where people didn't trust people, a world that He chose for His Son to be born into poverty and to experience things that none of us in this room have ever experienced. God chose to put the light of Jesus into the darkest places of this world. And the darkness, the Scripture says, will never overcome it. And I think that's what we have to grasp this Christmas. I think we have to grasp that through God, all things were made, and not one thing in all of creation was made without Him. What He's saying here, that Jesus was the light. He was God. He had always been God. He dwelt. Nothing in this world was made without God. I don't know this. I don't understand this. It's not my job to be a scientist. It is my job to, to be a pastor and to be a theologian. But I do understand what the Bible says. And though I don't understand all the science behind it, some people tell me life and creation could not even exist if it were not for light. But somehow or another, our lives, the life of this planet, of everything that there is, it all came because of Jesus. And we call this the gospel. We call this good news. And this morning, I think it's important to remind ourselves, as I told the first service this morning, why is the gospel good news? That's what we need to contemplate as we share and invite folks to church with us, as we share and invite people to put their trust in Jesus. Why is the gospel good news this morning? The gospel is not good news because we're to feed the hungry. There are a lot of good people who don't believe in Jesus that are trying to feed the hungry. The gospel is not good news because we care for the sick. There are a lot of good people who don't believe in Jesus that care for the sick. The gospel is not good news because somehow or another it will make you a better person. There are a lot of things you can do to make yourself a better person. You can start by being nice. You can start by being kind. You can start by trying to be considerate. And a lot of people teach that and they mean well. But why is the gospel good news? The gospel is good news, not because it makes me a better person, but because it makes me a brand new person. The gospel is good news is not because it makes a new and improved man out of me. It makes a brand new man out of me. For Jesus, he shall be named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's why the gospel is good news. Because what most of the world refuses to recognize is there is a real sin problem and you can try to be a better sinner. You can try to be a better person. But what we all need is a fresh start in life. What we all need is to be born again. Jesus in Mark 7, verse 21. This is offensive to some people, but I hope that you will listen with an open heart. Jesus said these words. For from within, out of a person's heart. Say, my heart. Say it again, please. My heart. For out of my heart comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things, all of these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Oh, I don't want to be called a deceitful person. I don't want to be called an adulterous person, a lustful man, a greedy man. Neither do you, but... The gospel makes me confront the fact that that's who I am until my sins are forgiven. 
The gospel makes me confront the fact as I work with people every single day of my life that that's what I'm dealing with is people like myself who maybe are trying to improve their lives and become a better person, which you can never successfully achieve unless you've been born again. And it's salvation from my sin. That's what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ good news this morning. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Pastor and author Tim Keller wrote these words in his great little book called Hidden Christmas that I would recommend to you. He wrote these words. He said, are you willing to say, I am a moral failure? I don't love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I don't love my neighbor as myself, and therefore, I am guilty. And I need forgiveness and pardon before I need anything else. Stop. Heart stop right there. Before I need food, before I need drink, before I need water, before I need to be kinder, I need forgiveness before I need anything else. It takes enormous courage to admit these things because it means throwing your old self-image out and getting a new one through Jesus Christ. And yet, that is the foundation for all the other things. That is the foundation. Listen again. That is the foundation for all the other things that Jesus can bring into your life. All the comfort, all the hope, all the joyful humility, and everything else. It all begins with being born again. That's what makes the gospel good news this morning. And it's why I think that people are not amazed by me or amazed by you or amazed by our church. It's why they're not amazed by religious publishing or religious movies. But everybody is still amazed by Jesus Christ. Because to come to terms with the gospel, you have to come to terms that God sent His Son into this dark world to die for us while we were enemies of God, while we were dead in our trespasses and our sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 25. Read this out loud with me if you would, please. God sent Christ to be our sacrifice. Christ offered His life's blood so that by faith in Him, we could come to God. And God did this to show that in the past He was right to be patient and forgive sinners. This also shows that God is right when He accepts people who have faith in Jesus. Isn't that good news this morning? Isn't that the best news you could ever hear? And it's the foundation for everything else in life. Everything that I enjoy Sometimes I share with people who ask me about my story, and I'll say, before I share my story, you have to know this. If you want to listen, is, is you have to know that everything I have, everything that I am, everything that God has done in my it's all because of Jesus, that everything is a miracle. My health, my, my marriage, my children, my life, my everything is a miracle. God, give it to me. But I can't tell you my story unless I first tell you that Jesus Christ saved me from my sins. They go, well, what did you do? And I said, I literally went from sandbox to sandbox searching reality. Nothing ever went up my veins or nothing ever went up my nose or I never went out and killed anybody. I never had sex with anybody but my wife. I never did all these things with people. I was a sinner. And the only Coca-Cola that's ever been in my nose is when I drank it too fast and I burped in a hurry. You've had that happen too, haven't you? What a nasty thing to happen They'll go, well, you were a good person. No, I wasn't a good person. You're not a good person. And you can see the flush. Because nobody likes to be told, you're no good, you're no good. Baby, you're no good. (laughs) Excuse me. That was not in the spirit. But it was sure fun. Nobody likes to be told that. But only Jesus, only Jesus can forgive us of our sins and make us brand new creations in Christ. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. Eternally grateful. So there's some convictions that we have as passionate followers of Jesus. And again, all of these are not in your outline, but they are on the message app. If you download our app, you can get all the messages with the outlines. There is no other light but Jesus. 
There is no other light. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. Number two, we have this conviction, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone you know, every friend, every neighbor, every cousin, everyone needs Jesus. Your Muslim friend needs Jesus. Your Jewish friend needs Jesus. Your atheist friend needs Jesus. Your Hindu friend needs Jesus. Your Buddhist friend needs Jesus. Now, it's not my job. It's not your job to try and convert them. It's just our job to share what God has done in our lives and then let the Holy Spirit work in their lives. That's what being a witness is. A witness is not trying. And a lot of my friends from other faiths will tell me, we can be friends as long as you don't try to convert me. I says, oh, I'll never try to convert you. But, you know, I, I want you to tell me about Allah. I want you to tell me about what you believe. And I want to be able to tell you what Jesus has done for me. Can we do that? And nobody has ever disagreed and said we can't do that. But I tell you this. Time after time, God changes people's lives. Because though I may be like those little dinoflagellates lying in the ocean, I may be a dim reflection of Jesus. Honey, I want you to know, it is the real Jesus who lives and dwells in our hearts by faith today. And I trust the light of God that shines through us as a congregation. I trust that light. I have a third conviction from the Scriptures that we share as a congregation and this world was made for Jesus. It's why we could sing that song that Dan led us in this morning. For God so loved the world. God is not mad at the world. God is not angry at the world. My mother and I were talking this week and she said to me over the phone, she says, Honey, I just want to warn you one more time about being in ministry. Stay close to Jesus, Denny. Talk to Jesus. Stay close to Him because His harshest words were reserved for people who do what you do. You see, Jesus never called any lost person a sinner. His harshest words were reserved for people like you and me. Somehow or another, we get a formula, we get a plan, we get God in a box. I confess humbly to you today, every single day, I need amazing grace. I need His grace. And though you just agree with me that I need His grace, you need His grace too. <laughs> I felt so affirmed in that amen just now. And one day, this world will be filled with the light of Jesus Christ. One day, every tongue and every knee shall bow and confess to the glory and the honor. Even those who reject Him and choose an eternity without Him... And that horrifying prospect, one day this world will be filled. One day heaven will be full. It will not be an empty heaven, but heaven will be filled. For John says in that very same chapter that Pastor Corey read to you this morning, the light in the darkness and the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So let's just think about that for a moment. After those shepherds had saw the light, after those shepherds had experienced the light and they believed what the angels had said, who wouldn't believe? And they rushed and they found the babe lying in a manger just like the angels said they would. The Bible says that they went and told everybody and everyone was amazed. And I want you to think about that word amazed with me for just a moment because that's an awesome word and words have lost their power. They've lost their punch and meaning. You know, awesome has lost its mean. Toothpaste is awesome. Oh, this toothpaste is awesome. No, it's not. It's toothpaste. Oh, man, that meal was amazing. No, it's not. It was delicious, but it wasn't amazing. Amazing means to be in awe. Amazing means to be in wonder. Amazing means to be overwhelmed. Awe means you fall down in terror at the greatness and the glory. Those shepherds were terrified. They were in awe of the glory of God they saw. But when they heard the words that the Messiah, the one who would save us from our sins, courage filled their hearts. And wherever they went, People were amazed by what they said to them. And friends, I want you to know that the light of Christmas should shine just like that through you and me today. Can you say amen? This message, this hope, this light should shine through you and I. You see, those shepherds went from suddenly being dirty, stinking, rotten shepherds that were not allowed to come to the temple. They raised the sacrificial sheep, but they were not allowed to come to the temple because they were considered unclean. Shepherds were considered to be thieves. Shepherds were considered to be the lowlifes of the community. 
Nobody liked a shepherd. Nobody wanted their son to grow up to be a shepherd. But suddenly they went from being shepherds, they went to being life changers. Because it doesn't matter whether you're a shepherd or whether you're the president of the United States, Jesus Christ has the power to change your life and to make you a brand new person this morning. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Only Jesus can give you a purpose in life. Only Jesus died for your sins at Calvary. Only Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day. Only Jesus can change your life. And Jesus, 2,000 years, is still changing lives today. And He will change your life, my life, and the lives of our friends and our neighbors and our cousins if we simply trust Him to do so. Only Jesus does that. And that's what makes Christmas so exciting. You say, but pastor, you're so extroverted. You can do that. I can't. I'm an introvert. I've told you before, I've learned how to meet people. I've learned how to network. I sweat bullets whenever I have to go somewhere and meet a bunch of new people. I was invited this week to go to a meeting and the person that invited me showed up late and suddenly I got horseshoes underneath my sweater. I could feel myself sweating because that meant I had to meet the people at my table and I didn't want to have to extend my hand and say, hi, my name is Dennis Clanton. It's just a difficult thing for me to do. And I start meeting people and fortunately they are very kind and they're very nice and, and I'm meeting people. And, but you see, you, it's not a matter of whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. I'm just telling you that when Jesus changes you, you can't help but change other people. Those shepherds, people were amazed at listening to them. Those shepherds went out and as they began to talk and as they began to converse, somebody would have said to them, you're a dirty, rotten, stinking shepherd. I'm not going to listen to you. And that shepherd went, but let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. You shepherds, you can't even go to church. You're so low down. But let me tell you what Jesus did for you. You shepherds, you're uneducated. What are you going to teach me? But the moment you say, but Jesus... Jesus changes everything this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus changes everything. It's not a sign. It's not a production. It's not a sermon. It's not you. It's not me. The moment you can tell somebody but Jesus. The moment I can tell somebody that say miracles don't happen and I can tell them my story, I say but Jesus. You see, the moment you can say marriages don't get healed, and you can say, let me tell you the story about my marriage, but Jesus. The moment you can say, but Jesus, that changes everything. So today, what I believe the Holy Spirit really wants you and I to hear, it's not the shepherds, it's you and me. It's the mission of our church. It's the life of our church. We share it with every other Bible-believing church, but this is our church. This is our community. This is where we live. This is where God has called us to spread the news, not about Woodland, not about the Assemblies of God, not about anything but Jesus. We're the life changers. And I'm praying, I'm fasting fervently like I've never fasted for a Christmas Eve service before. I'm asking God... I don't want this to be another warm and fuzzy religious Christmas Eve experience. There are lost people who come to Woodland every Christmas Eve and they come and they tell me the same thing. We experience something here that we don't experience anywhere else. I want to see people changed by the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. I'm begging you and I never use those words with anybody. I am pleading with you. Pray with me. Pray with me that I can craft and and prepare a message that will be life-changing, that the service will be life-changing, and that the presence of Jesus Christ will be so thick and so real in this place that people can't help but be amazed not by the service but by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in this room that would well yes give him a hand of praise I want to give the clearest invitation possible to invite people to come to Jesus you see there's a thought that I discourage a lot I don't hear it as much as I used to for those of you that are Maybe never heard me preach before, but 
I know every sermon I preach, and I pray this, Lord, help everybody to listen to the sermon. It's for them. Because a lot of times, somebody will come by and they'll say to me, oh, pastor, if I'm preaching about stubbornness, they'll say, oh, my husband really needed to hear that message this morning. And I know right then I'm talking to a stubborn woman. You know, sometimes a guy will come through, he says, I'm preaching about lust, and he'll go, oh, Oh, I know somebody really needs to hear that message on lust. And I'm thinking, I'm talking to a lusty little man right here. (laughs) You see, we're always thinking about who else needs this message. You know who needs this message? I need this message. That's the thought I want us to come. Jesus, I need you. I want everybody thinking, you've got to have Jesus. When we moved here in 1999, just let me bore you with just a few stats here real quickly. When we moved here in 1999... There was almost a quarter of a million people in Downriver. Ten years ago, we had another demo done. There was almost a half a million people in Downriver. Recently, I was told the Downriver population is now approaching 900,000 people living in Downriver. And I know those can be abstract numbers until that lost person in our community is your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your neighbor, that statistic can be so abstract until all of a sudden you realize it's yours. But I can remember in 1998, after the Olympics were over in Atlanta in 96, and I was praying about, you know, Becky and I really wanted to return to the pastorate. We'd been for 12 years doing the kind of work that we were doing, and I missed pastoring, and I was teaching a theology class at Southeastern for them on pastoral theology and my experiences as being a pastor. And, and I began weeping one day, and I knew in the class that God was calling me back to the pulpit. And we got a call from a beautiful place in Montana. Is it, how many of you have ever been to Montana? West Virginia's wrong. Montana is almost heaven. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful. I've been around this world a few times. Montana is one of the most beautiful places, and we got a call to move to Montana. I wanted my boys to grow up to be cowboys. I wanted to grow up and where there was huckleberries. I wanted to grow up where the air was clean and it was beautiful and where the buffalo roam. And I was so excited, Montana. Our general superintendent, Doug Clay, had called me and said, Dennis, they love you. They want you to come. And I was in Atlanta and I'm going to Montana. I was happy. And I pulled into this office complex that I was supposed to be at. And, and when I was getting out, of the, just as I was getting out of the car, the Holy Spirit spoke to me because I'd been praying and thanking God for this wonderful opportunity. And how good, have you ever prayed about something before you asked God if it was His will? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Dennis, I didn't die for rocks and trees. I came that people might be saved. I've never felt so let down by God in my whole life. And I never dreamed I would be coming to Detroit. And now our community, Senator Hopgood at our state capitol told me we're the second fastest growing community in all of Michigan. Friends, God has put us here for a reason. Some of you have been trying to get out of here for a long time. Some of you have been dreaming about Florida, Costa Rica, Jamaica, Some of you have been thinking, oh, I want to get out of here after Christmas. God has got you here to share the light of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen or owe me one? Either one's okay. (laughs) But God has got us here for a reason. And I want to say this as clearly as I can. There is a who for this light this morning. And the who is you. We are the ones that get to share the good news. We are the ones that get to tell. God wants to reach somebody through you. God wants to reach somebody through me. And I want to be that person that Jesus can reach lost people with. Don't you this morning? And there's a second reason. There's a why. Because every one of us have been made for eternity. I have this great confidence in my life that motivates me when I'm preaching. It motivates me when I'm sharing my faith. I have this great confidence in life. For the Bible says that God... God has placed eternity into the hearts and the lives of every man and woman. I know that everybody I'm talking to, somewhere, sometime, eternity begins to beat inside their life. They begin to think about it. What's going to happen when I die? And when the atheist tells me, I know I'm just going to die like a dog, I know inside he's saying that defensively because he doesn't want to hear the good news. The good news is it's not about being better. It's about having your sins forgiven. I know the person that 
that pleads about another religion where their God did not do anything to save them from their sins, but tells them, you've got to climb this ladder of works. You've got to do this amount of works. You've got to do this to be saved. They know they can never be good enough for eternity. But when they hear the good news that Jesus saves and forgives, and it's not about how good I am, it's about how good God is this morning. Somebody say, praise God. It's about how good God is, not how good I am. Nobody is so educated that they're not gripped by this. And my third conviction is simply this, that Jesus is still doing the same thing today that he did in the days of the Bible. He's saving, he's healing, he's delivering, he's changing hearts and lives where people trust him. And so this Christmas, I'm asking you, share the light, be be the light. And let's work for the best Christmas Eve service, the best next Sunday, this service where we're going to pull all the stops out to celebrate the love of the Lord here. Here are three suggestions for you, and then we'll go home. Number one, use your relationships. Use your relationships. God gave you those relationships. God put you in the community that you're a part of for a reason. Jesus saved a man one time, and this man was insane. This man was, the Bible describes it as demonized, that, there were, that he had so given himself over to evil that there were demons that were controlling his life. He was a demonized man. He, 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 he lived in a cemetery. They would chain him up because he would hurt himself, and to keep him from hurting himself, they would chain him up. It's like we used to have to do when I worked in mental health, sometimes restrain patients or put them in padded cells. He, he, he would take off his clothes and run about naked and and again, I've seen these things happen and witnessed and worked with these things. So I, I pictured this in my mind. He was so tormented and Jesus saw him. Listen, he didn't even ask Jesus to change him. He didn't ask Jesus to save him. But when Jesus saw him in his mercy and his compassion, Jesus not only delivered this man, he saved this man. He restored him to his right mind. He was clothed again. And the man so loved Jesus and was so grateful to Jesus, he would have done what I would have done. He said, Jesus, let me go with you. Jesus, let me stay with you. Jesus, I, I would, whatever it takes, just let me be with you. And Jesus says to him, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you, how merciful he has been. Heart, stop. Jesus wants you to share what he's done for you. Remember the shepherds? You're a dirty, stinking shepherd, but Jesus. You're a lying, thieving shepherd, but Jesus. You're uneducated, but Jesus. Friends, it doesn't matter about any of your achievements in life. What matters is Jesus Christ. And when he went back and he told them, he went off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. Read it with me. Everyone was amazed. They weren't riding home going, oh, this was so cool. This guy's life was changed. They were amazed. They were in awe. They were in shock. They were the ones that used to have to chain him up. They were the ones that would hide their kids away from him. They were the ones that would run the other way. And now here he was, saved from his sins, and he was being used of God to change somebody else's life. You are a life changer this morning. I'm not a lifesaver, but you and I are life changers. Number two, pray passionately for your relationships. Pray intensely. Pray fervently. Pray with fasting for your lost friends. Remember... God has placed eternity in their hearts. And everything we have in our world today is designed to keep us from thinking about eternity. Everything. Everything is designed to keep us. At Fred's funeral this week, when I gave the invitation for people to trust in Jesus Christ, we prayed and God's presence was so real. But after the service, someone called me. They said, Pastor, I just wanted to share this with you. Fred has been praying for years that his whole family would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his whole family would be there. And said, for the first time, Fred's entire family heard the gospel of Jesus Christ today. There are some prayers God's still going to be answering after you and I are in heaven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? I think that is so cool. 
Look at what Jesus says. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. In other words, be aware of what's going on in the lives of people you love and trust. Be aware. Give God thanks for them. Give God thanks for these relationships. Give God thanks for those people that sometimes are like sandpaper in your life. Give God thanks, but be aware. Know what's going on and intercede about what's happening in their lives. And then he says, pray for us too so that God will give us many opportunities to speak about His mysterious plan concerning Christ. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for each other that God will use us to share and invite others to Christ. And Paul says, that's why I'm here in change. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. I'm not in chains. I'm here behind this pulpit happily and thankfully this morning. But I pray that you will pray with me that I will be able to proclaim the message clearly, the good news of Jesus Christ clearly. One other verse here that I think is important. Read this out loud with me from the book of Colossians chapter 4. Live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Whenever you meet someone new, if they're a business person, ask them for their card. Just follow up with an email that day and say, hey, it was so nice to meet you today. I just wanted to say thanks for taking time to talk with me. That's all you have to say. Just establish a contact. It's amazing how many replies I get to business cards that I'm given like that. Or if you don't get a business card and you get a chance, just go on to Facebook or something. Say, hey, I'm not trying to be creepy, but it was, I really am glad I got to meet you today. And I just thought I'd send you a private message or a friend them up or whatever you want to do. But live alert. Live wisely. Most of the time when I do that, people click. They want to be my friend. And I know that everybody that says they're my friend on Facebook is not my friend. But at least I know that because they click those little buttons on there. Becky will show me. The kids, they click those. They like the scripture that I put on there. And you use things as a witness. Share what God is doing. Share how God has answered prayer in your life. It's living wisely. It's living graciously and attractively. And then finally, nurture those relationships. Pray for them. That's how you water a relationship. Last night, I took one of those relationships here in our prayer service. And I just, just felt led. And you can do with that what you want to do. But I just felt led to write a prayer for that person. And so I took my iPad out for this lost person. And I just began to pray for them. Now, they're very kind to me. They're very nice to me. But they're opposed to everything I stand for. They're opposed to the gospel. They're opposed to what I believe in. But I'm just so thankful that they've chosen to be my friend. I'm so thankful that once in a while they'll say to me, would you like to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks? I like that. And there's a reason they're still my friend. Because I have nothing to offer them because they're opposed to everything that I stand for and that reason is they're attracted to the light no matter how dim it may be and if little flagellates could get Jim Lovell back to an aircraft carrier in the sea of Japan you and I no matter how dim we are compared to Jesus there are people that God will reach through you, through you, through you, and you, and you, and me, to bring them to the light of Christmas. And I promise you, look at me right here. I promise you, there is nothing like seeing their lights all aglow when you sing the Christmas song. Their lights, their eyes, all aglow with the love of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Can we just be quiet in His presence for just a moment? And while Becky plays softly, and let's give the Holy Spirit space to speak to our hearts. 
You're a life changer. Ushers, I'm going to ask that no one be moving around right now, just very quiet and reverent in the presence of Christ. If you've got ministry, just hold still for a moment. doing is asking people to come and see what God has done. Jesus, thank you. You are indeed the light of the world. And Father, last week, We discover that when our plans don't go the way that we plan them, you are still in control and we win. This week, Lord, you are the light that darkness cannot extinguish. And you have called us to be life changers just simply by bearing witness to what you've done in our lives. So, Lord, I, I know there are needs in this room this morning. There are needs for physical healing, Lord. There are needs for deliverance from troubled hearts, troubled minds. Lord, there are needs this morning spiritually people who have they're no longer amazed are in awe of what you have done so I'm asking you sweep across this room doing what you do Jesus You're the double cure for the double curse. And Jesus, maybe there's some here today, I'm not aware, but God, they just need the courage to admit what Pastor Tim Keller wrote. I'm a moral failure. God, it takes enormous courage just to say, because Satan has so blinded our hearts. So I pray right now that you grant them the courage, the conviction. Say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. If that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me? You don't have to pray it out loud, but just say, Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to save me from my sin. I'm a moral failure, Lord. Now come on, deal with it. You may have gone from sandbox to sandbox looking for reality. You may have taken a very different dark path and stand here with such shame. I want you to know your shame is no greater than my shame. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And He loves you so much. He loves you so much. You can't have Christmas without the cross. It's why he came into this world.
So now just continue and say, Lord, forgive me. I put my trust in you. Deliver me from the darkness that I live in. I want to live in the light of Christmas this year. So as much as I know how, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, even angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. And every eye is closed. No one's looking around. But if you prayed that prayer with me, will you, will you just witness to me? Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed with you this morning. God bless you. 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 Yes, God bless you. Hallelujah. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we give the Lord a thunderous hand of praise this morning? Can we rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in what God has done? Hallelujah. Pastor Rick is going to come in just a moment and share with you some material I'd like to give you just to help you. But I have was woke up last night and I really think we're supposed to do this. I'm not going to be at the back door this morning, but if you need special prayer for anything, after Pastor Rick shares with you about what we have for those who have given your heart to Christ, you can pick it up at our crossing right out these middle doors. Would you come down and let us anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith over you? The Bible said, we don't heal. If you're our guest, listen, we don't heal. We are not healers. The Bible says, anoint them with oil. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And pray with faith. And these words have stood out to me. The Lord will heal them. Say that with me. The Lord will heal them. Say it again. The Lord will heal them. God does the healing. And so we're going to be looking for miracles this morning. So if you need prayer, you come. For those of you who gave your heart to Jesus, I love you so much. I want to write you tomorrow, so be sure you leave that card. For the rest of you, go be a life changer. Lord, keep your hand upon us. God, would you anoint everything we say and do, that we will be gracious, wise, loving, brilliantly shining people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This I bless us with in Christ's name. Amen.